Have you ever heard of something called upcycling? Has anyone heard of something called upcycling? Okay, so I'm gonna tell you what it is. It's not recycling, which, it, which is when you have something that breaks down metal or glass and plastic and it breaks it down to their base products and then remakes it into consumer products. That's recycling, okay? That's what you put out every week and they take it away. It's upcycling. Now, upcycling is this process of converting old or discarded materials into something useful and beautiful. Okay, in some ways it's like re-gifting, right? It's taking something that you have and creating something else into it. It's for a different purpose, maybe even a better purpose. It's all about the DIY capability. Okay, so if you're a woman sitting next to a man right now, tell them what DIY is, because <laughs> they may not know. It's do it yourself, right? It's all about what we can do it ourselves. And this uh, website called Pinterest has launched us into this kind of do it yourself generation mentality. So as you can see for our launch week, we upcycled some wooden pallets here you can see behind us. Um, compliments of Frontier Lumber. We're so thankful that they let us borrow them to make them into something different, repurpose it. And you might even notice that around the church there are some um, painted palettes of like decorations. And so actually I did just a little bit of research this week and I found that lots of people upcycle wooden palettes. Who knew? I had no idea. But apparently people have bigger visions in this. So I want to show you some of the things that um, people do with wooden palettes. They make conference room tables. That's what I'm talking about. Kids' beds on wheels. Look at that. That would be convenient. Um, they hang pans from them. What else we got? This one Adam Frano submitted. He made that have an old pallet. All right. So with upcycling, what's old is new again, but with a twist. And something that is, that is banged up or broken or not quite functional the way it was designed to be can be upcycled. And, and in that process, it can become something with perhaps a, a different purpose, but still a really good purpose. So in the scripture, we're talking about building strong family series. And, and in the scripture, it's actually, ironically, very difficult to find what you would call a healthy family. Uh, most of the families in the scripture um, have a lot of sin and a lot of pain, and, and to find a family with a lot of harmony is actually, actually pretty difficult. And Pastor talked last week about this idea and how family and life just isn't picture perfect. And so today we're just going to unpack that a little differently on a little different angle about how so often we sit in the middle of situations that just feel really messy. I want to remind you this morning as we're talking about family um, that that word can be uh, in many, many contexts. I think in case you're here today and you're like, I'm single or I'm a widow or I, I don't have any children yet, I, I want you, when you hear the word family in this whole series really, but specifically today when you hear me say the word family, please do not apply it to uh, the couple who's been married for 10 years with two and a half kids living at like one, two, three, four, perfect street. Okay, that's not, that's not the only family that we're talking about today. In fact, family can mean a lot of things. Family can mean your extended family, your grandma, your cousins, your, your aunts, your uncles. We all have a crazy uncle, okay, somewhere, some dysfunctional uncle, right? They usually live in Florida. I don't know why. That's what everyone says. Um, family could mean... Your coworkers. Some of us spend 
time day in and day out with people, even more than our, fa- our actual family who we live with. So family could mean your coworkers. Um, family could mean your church family, the people that you're sitting with to the right or to the left of you. Family could mean um, your deepest, closest friendships who become, often your friends become closer to you than your blood family ever could because we choose them, right? We get to pick our friends. And so sometimes we like them even a little bit more. And so that word family is a broad term, but it's really applicable to every one of us here. So this morning, I want you to catch, catch what we're talking about, put it into the context in your life right now, and apply the word of God to your own story, because only you can do that. So humanity, as we talked about in the scripture, is not harmonious. We, we all begin alienated from God, and therefore, since we're alienated from our creator, that causes alienation between us. And so you put alienated, selfish sinners together in a home, sharing a bathroom and the remote and the most intimate aspects of life, having different personalities and interests and and different ways you load the dishwasher and different things that are important to you, and you have a recipe for a sin mess. Just watch any reality TV show where they put random people in the same house for any length of time. Actually, don't. That's not an endorsement. It's a waste of time. But, you know, like that, just, that is just such a sin mess and that happens. So having conflict and brokenness and dysfunction in your family does not surprise God. He, he is not surprised. And in fact, there is not a family that will be perfect. Even families who serve God with all their heart and seek to honor him are still going to experience brokenness. If you haven't already, then it's probably coming. Even church staffs who love God with all their heart and want to see his kingdom advance will deal with the reality of humanity. Even friend groups who who challenge each other and dream big and and commit to each other for for a lifetime are going to walk through messes because this is us. It's the skin we're in. Humanity is not harmonious. And that is what we face. And if our expectation is that if we just all love God, everything's going to work out, then we're going to be disappointed because brokenness is what is going to happen because of who we are and because of the alienation that we we experience. So I believe God, in his remarkable wisdom, dwells among us. And when things are broken and banged up and not quite functioning as they're designed to be, that our God plans an upcycle. That, that our God begins to look at the mess we've made, and he grieves it. Don't get me wrong. He, he's not pleased with the things, the sin that happens in our lives that causes these messes. But he always has a repurpose in mind. And he is the one who can take broken, battered, and ugly and change it and upcycle it into something good and something purposeful and something full of function and something beauty and something, and something hopeful. He can do that. So in the book of Ruth, which is the scripture that we're kind of walking through these next few weeks, uh, according to chapter 1, verse 1, the story takes place during the time of Judges. Let's read it. It says, In the days when the Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Okay, so in the book of Judges, which is the book right before the book of Ruth, um, we can see how... It, the kind of the, the time period that it was. The last verse of Judges 21, 25 says this, in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. So in Ruth's time, it was a very dark time in Israel. 
The people would sin, God would send enemies against him, the people would, would cry for help, God would mercifully raise up a judge to deliver them. That's the whole book of Judges, just kind of repeats itself. Over and over and over, this would happen. And so eventually, the child born to Ruth and Boaz, later in that book, during the period of the Judges, so it's during this very difficult period, is a guy named Obed. And he becomes the father of Jesse. And Jesse becomes the father of David. And David is the king who leads Israel to the greatest heights of glory. David is the king who, who leads Israel into the most hopeful periods of time that Israel will ever have. So one of the main messages of the book of Ruth is that God is at work in the worst of times. And so I know some of you are here this morning and maybe in your own life, in some area of relationships that you have or their lack of, that it is the worst of times. That it is maybe the most broken you've ever seen it and you're just not even sure how this is ever going to get fixed. And Jesus would say to us, God would say to us today in the scripture, even though the sins happen of my people, even though things are all turned around and upside down, that he has a plan and a plot for our redemption, that God is at work in the worst of times. And when you think he is the farthest from you or he has turned against you, the truth is that he is laying a foundation and he is building strong families. And he is upcycling. He's repurposing. Perhaps where you're sitting is not where you thought you would be at this time of your life. But, but it begs this question today that, that because we're broken, because things are not firing on all cylinders, maybe you're in conflict with your parents, you, you haven't spoken to your brother since last Thanksgiving, you're, you're offended by that woman in the office, she sneezes and it frustrates you, you know? Um, you're tired of always being the one to say you're sorry, you're tired of always being the one to go to that person and try to make things right. Maybe you're lonely, maybe you're uncomfortable, we're broken, but the question I want to bring to you this morning is, what if broken isn't always bad? What if broken isn't always bad. Broken is not the original plan, we know that, but it can be repurposed. Because what if in the soil of brokenness is when things can grow, the right things can grow? So what if broken is exactly what you need right now? And what if broken isn't bad? I wanna talk for just the next few minutes this morning about four things I believe that can grow out of brokenness, things that, that can grow out of these situations that, that we face today. And, and the first one is this, that faith can grow out of brokenness. Faith grows out of brokenness. So the Bible can be entirely summed up in one theme. God made a gracious plan to redeem needy sinners. Every book turns back to that. Every, every story is to illustrate that. Everything that is in that whole book is to show us that God made a gracious plan to redeem needy sinners. And it teaches us that what God wants most for us is that we become aware of our sinfulness, that we, we realize our powerlessness to save ourselves, and then we believe and love his son and the gospel he preached and then we graciously love one another. That's, that's the whole thing. And it turns out that the family is an ideal place for all of these to occur. And it turns out that the mess is usually required for these things to occur. 
Because sin must be seen and powerlessness must be experienced before we really turn to Jesus. Right? We actually have to realize that we need him to embrace the gospel. And offenses have to be committed so we can have gracious love. So we can demonstrate. Now, I'm not saying go out and like offend as many people as possible, okay? We already do that without even trying. But, but what's happening is family harmony is, is a good desire, world peace, right? Like we want, everyone wants that. We want, every Miss America pageant wants that. But it's something to work toward, but it may not be what is most needed. It may not be what is most needed. What's most needed might be the mess, What's most needed might be the mess so that God's grace would be visible to the people that we love. There was this movement of people in um, the early 90s, 1991, at Saddleback Church in California. And uh, this church was just getting started. Now it's, you know, nation, world known. Um, Rick Warren pastors it. And they were meeting uh, just in a high school gym, just a few hundred of them. And one of the pastors that was working with Rick Warren, his name was John Baker, and he wrote out a 12-step program that he felt God had given him, um, which was a Christ-based plan to help people overcome addictions. And not just drug and alcohol addictions, though that was a a big part of it, but also um, to help people overcome financial dysfunctions, to help people overcome eating disorders, to help people overcome high-anxiety behaviors, you name it. In fact, he summed it up as this. It was a program aimed at our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups, which a lot of things can fall into those categories. Our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. And Baker utilizes eight of the recovery steps straight from the Beatitudes. He pulls it straight from Scripture. And I thought this was amazing. 27,000 people have walked through this program, Celebrate Recovery, at Saddleback Church alone. 27,000. The the statistic was like 2.5 million people have walked it worldwide. But the report from Saddleback Church is that 85% of those people are now active members of the church. 85% of those 27,000. And 42% are serving in a capacity in the church. And you know what? When I read that, what spoke to me was this. Faith grows out of brokenness. That those people came in with, with broken hearts, with broken, uh, with addictions, with thing, problems in their family, bridges they've burned all over the place, situations that they felt like were broken between them and Jesus, and they didn't have very much faith at all, many of them, but when they got there and started to begin that God is the one that puts it together, that I'm sinful, that I'm powerless to fix myself, and I need a savior, faith began to grow. Because where there is a mess, God often can do his best work. Where there is a mess, God often can do his best work. And that's why in the coming months here, in the beginning of this new year, um, Erie First is going to begin a Celebrate Recovery program. And and it is intended to serve the community, uh, to help us in our brokenness, and ultimately to help us grow faith. And Anthony Brown uh, has felt really called and passionate to lead this group. He has a lot of experience with it, and so um, he needs your help. And so we, we put a little table in the lobby there. If you want to help uh, just Anthony, he can tell you all about it, just give you uh, lots of details. And, and if you want to get involved in that, stop in the lobby on your way out of service today and talk to him more about that. But the truth is, faith grows out of the broken, and, and the broken places in our life, the broken spaces in our life. And in that case, if faith is birthed out of brokenness, then brokenness doesn't always have to be bad. 
All right, here's the second one. Grace clarifies in brokenness. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a, a young German theologian, and he wrote these words. We have them on the screen. It says, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. So what does that mean? What is cheap grace versus costly grace? Well, here's, here's my best understanding of it, is that sin does the breaking. Sin is the cause of the mess most of the time. And the enemy of God is out to steal and kill and destroy, specifically the family. We talked about that the first week. The image of God. That the enemy of God wants to destroy the image of God, so he is out to get it all the time. And God hates sin. But God hates sin because it hurts us. God hates sin not because he wants to like control us or micromanage us or, or steal all the fun things away. He loves us, and he hates anything that hurts us. I remember as a child, um, I would trip and fall and, and, you know, hit my head on the chair, and my grandmother would put the chair in time out, you know, <laughs> because obviously the chair, like, it was my fault, I tripped and fell, you know, but she, anything that hurt me, anything that hurt me because she loved me, she did not like. And so sin is, God hates sin because it hurts us. God, the scripture says God hates divorce because it hurts us. God hates sexual, sexual immorality because it hurts us. Idolatry, drunkenness, unforgiveness, murder, it hurts us. If not right away, then eventually. And so we need grace when we sin. But cheap grace receives the gift, but forgets the cost. Cheap grace receives the gift, but forgets the cost. So, so grace is not Jesus saying to us, okay, um, you did, you, you know, you sinned. You know what? It's no big deal. Like, no problem. Like everybody makes mistakes. Just, just try again tomorrow. Don't worry about it. That, that is actually not at all what Jesus is saying to us. Sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. And, and brokenness due to our sin is a big deal. And when we minimize it in any way, we cheapen the grace that God extends. In fact, sin is such a big deal that God sent his only son to die on a cross for our sin. And so when we just sort of slough off our sin issues, like, well, it's no big thing, like, uh, everyone, you know, no one will even know that it happened, or, or just, this is just what we do, you know, it's no big deal. I know that maybe it's kind of technically wrong, but, or there's grace for it, I'm good. I'll just say I'm sorry tomorrow. We dishonor the cross of Jesus. And we quite literally diminish something that required the death of God's son to cleanse us from. Cheap grace wants the forgiveness without the hard work of repentance. Cheap grace wants us to ignore and just keep living in our selfish desires, knowing full well the implications it has on our relationship with Jesus. Cheap grace refuses to make the sacrifices that Jesus asks us to when we decide to follow him. I'm going to read for you... Um, Hebrews 10, 26 through 29, it's a, it's a sobering scripture that wrecks me every time, and, and it preaches itself. I don't, I don't even need to unpack it for you, but let me read it to you. Hebrews 10, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. 
And then on to verse 29. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit, who brings God's mercy to us. Cheap grace receives the gift, but forgets the cost. And when we are truly broken because of our sin, we shouldn't minimize its ugliness. We, we shouldn't play down the terrible offense it is to Jesus. When we're broken and we're actually truly broken and we're busted up and we're upset because we failed someone, we failed Jesus, we did something we shouldn't have done, that is when brokenness clarifies grace. And that is when God can extend costly grace, the opposite of cheap grace. He can extend this costly grace. And, and I would be... Just, just so convinced of this, if costly grace is missing from your Christian life, your faith becomes shallow and inauthentic. Because we begin to, in some ways, abuse the grace that God has offered us. God's grace does forgive us when we fail. It, it operates that way. Without a doubt, he Every day, he offers this grace to us no matter what happens. But the part of God's grace that I think we dilute and the part that we, we forget to count on is the part that God's grace is so strong that you don't have to fail. That, that you can ask for God's grace, that it can empower you to be who you cannot be on your own. To do what you cannot do by a power that you do not possess. Because the Holy Spirit comes in us, and, and through the Holy Spirit, we can do things that we can never will ourselves to do or not to do. God, uh, grace, excuse me, clarifies in brokenness. And therefore, sometimes, if you're broken because of your sin or because of the sin in, in others' lives, it isn't always bad. All right, number three. Blessings follow brokenness. Uh, so in Ruth 2, verse 3, it says this. So she, meaning Ruth, went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. So Ruth was in Boaz's field, um, and in that day, gleaning was a custom. So during the harvest, uh, the poor were allowed to follow the reapers and pick up any grains that were left behind and use them for their own sustenance. And so in my mind, uh, this picture is like when my family goes out to dinner, and uh, Joel gets everything left, you know, right? So he's like, order that extra baked potato, you know, <laughs> and then because he knows I won't eat it. And so all the kids order their like chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese, and then I, you know, can't finish my hamburger, and he gets to eat his own and everything else. All right, that's like a Schreiber custom also when I read that scripture. So oftentimes when we're faced with brokenness, we just kind of wallow in it, right? We wallow in it. We post some like really sad emoji Facebook thing, I'm so sad about my life. When will, you know, and we ask God, like, why is this happening to us? What is happening? Why, why am I in this mess? Why is this happening all the time? And in that scripture, Ruth could have griped. She could have been in the field and been like, I should have left here when I had the chance. Now I'm like just picking up all these leftovers, just eating what's left. I don't even have my own you know, my, my, my own row to go in. I just have to glean behind these sweaty dudes, you know. But she didn't. She didn't say that. And in our broken homes and in our broken jobs and in our broken living situations and in our broken relationships, I believe we have two options. We can gripe or we can glean. We can gripe or we can glean. And you get to pick. You get to pick every day. 
All right, turn to someone next to you and say, are you going to gripe or glean? Good. Are you going to gripe or glean? Wake each other up. I believe this. God loves gleaners. God loves gleaners. In fact, in these few weeks, we will continue um, talking about the book of Ruth. He promotes gleaners. He, a gleaner is full of faith. Gleaners are ready. They're looking for their blessing because they know that there's a blessing after the brokenness. They know that it's coming. And because Ruth chose to glean, because she stayed true to God's calling, God favored her. God put her in Boaz's field. She eventually marries him. And the favor of God rests on her abundantly. There are blessings that follow brokenness. So if you're in the middle of it, hang in there. And glean, don't gripe. Glean, don't, don't gripe. All right, here's the last one. Miracles happen in brokenness. So in the book of Ruth, um, God did a miracle in that messy, broken family. And over and over in the scripture, God's miracles are in the midst of messy realities. Maybe that's why it's so hard to find a healthy family in the scripture, because where God was working, where God was doing the miracles, was in the middle of these messy realities. And I think sometimes we miss the miracle because we're too focused on the mess. We miss the miracle because we're too focused on the mess. So we started this message in the Old Testament in Ruth. I want to end it today in the New Testament. So here's what's happening. The disciples are with Jesus, and they fed 5,000 people with some bread and a few fish. If you remember that miracle, they get into a boat. They go out into the middle of the water, and before you know it, they're in rough waters. Okay, it's, it's, there's a storm. They were in a mess. They, they were completely all terrified, you know, freaking out. They don't know what they're going to do. So I'm going to read to you in Mark 6, 49 through 52. It says this, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and he said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And, and what that scripture means by the loaves is the miracle they just saw. So that word hardened in, in the Greek here means unresponsive, lacking sensitivity or spiritual perception. So they were with Jesus in the flesh, Watching him do miracles before their very eyes moments ago, literally like within the hour, and their hearts were hardened. How many times do we just say, I wish God would just show up right here and tell me what to do? You know, and we think for sure I would do it if he, if he just came here in the flesh. I wish, I wish Jesus would just, you know, point it out, like, go this way, and of course I would. And here is an example that they are literally with Jesus in the flesh, there he stands, and their hearts are hardened. They had witnessed expressions of God, but they hadn't turned those expressions into personal experiences. Their hearts were not tender to the reality of Jesus. And access to Jesus without application will never equal transformation. Access to Jesus without application will never equal transformation only when we try to apply God's revelations to our situations will we begin to change. 
Jesus miraculously walks on the water, right? He comes to them. He, he saves his, his disciples in the middle of the mess and in the brokenness, and they don't even recognize him. They think he's a ghost, which I'm sure Jesus got a good laugh at at that moment. They were close to him, but unaware of his presence. They were close to him, but unaware of his presence. They could hear him, but they could not grasp his promise. I want you to know that Jesus' presence is here today. Are you, are you aware of his presence? Because we can be very, very close to him, but unaware of it at times. And so Jesus speaks to them in this passage and says, don't be afraid. Uh, the word here actually means in the, in, the, in the Greek, don't resist me. Don't be afraid also means don't resist me. And Jesus climbs in the boat with them. And he's saying the same thing to you, and he's saying the same thing to me this morning. Jesus says, don't be afraid of that mess. Don't resist me. Don't resist me. For some of you, I believe that, that these words are, are just piercing your heart prophetically, that, that resisting Jesus, just don't resist him. Like, let him walk into the messiest part of your life, the part that you're so ashamed of, the part that you don't want anyone to ever know. Don't be afraid. Don't resist him because Jesus will climb right into the middle of that mess. That's what the scripture is saying. He just says, you know, the boat is rocking. Things aren't going the way that you expected it to. But if your heart is soft and sensitive and not hardened to his presence, he will sit right in the middle of your mess and with he and you will figure out how to deal with it. And that is the miracle I'm talking about in the brokenness. Yes, sometimes miracles happen. People get healed. Miraculous amounts of money come into your bank account. That's never happened to me, but that could happen. I'm just saying, you know, lots of miracles can happen. And I, and I mean that, that they can happen in brokenness. But the specific miracle I want you to know this morning is that Jesus is sitting in the middle of your broken family. Jesus is sitting in the middle of your broken life. Jesus is climbing into the boat in your brokenness. And that is a miracle. Because broken isn't always bad. Broken isn't always bad. I want you to watch this video. All these pieces broken and scattered in mercy gathered Mended and whole Empty-handed But not forsaken I've been set free I've been set free Amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved the wretch like me
take our failure, you take our weakness, you set your treasure in jars of clay. So take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel, the world to see your life in me. this morning, God. And we know that our brokenness isn't always desirable for us, God, that it is not comfortable. It is not where we want to be in the brokenness. But God, I pray this morning for those of us that are facing it, God, that we could look at it from a whole different perspective, that maybe brokenness isn't always bad. And God, that within it, you would grow faith. Lord, that you would clarify the grace that we need, that you would help us glean instead of gripe and wait for the blessing, God, we know that you've promised. And Lord, that you would just begin to show us that the miracles that could happen in that brokenness, and the biggest miracle of all, God, is that you climb right into the boat and sit in the middle of it and sort it out. So God, we invite you into those messes this week, and we ask that you would help us 
Lord, we're trusting you. We know that you are good, and you're good at being God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.